0: with Marcus Head. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce a person I like to call my new friend. And actually I know he's my friend we've had some great conversations and uh, you guys are really gonna be surprised at this interview. So without further ado, give it up for Heywood Nelson. How you doing, brother?
1: Good, good, Marcus. Good to see you, brother. Good.
0: Man, I'm excited to have you here, man. So let's go ahead and get started and get into it. So first of all, for those that uh, don't like the four or five people on this world, don't know who you are or some of the things that you've said, let's go ahead. Please introduce yourself.
1: Ha! Oh, introduce myself. Heywood Nelson, uh, actor, writer, producer, you know, uh, 1970s funky digiologist.
0: (laughs) So we all know you from what's happening and what's happening now, being Dwayne. Yes on the uh popular show so real quick let's talk about the show real quick because i did a little research and i found out the show actually was not actually called what's happening when it first started out no it
1: was not actually um what's happening originally was the tv series of coolie high the movie coolie high which i love to death you know lawrence jacobs you know glenn turman great film um so eric Monty, who wrote coolie high actually uh was in a production deals along with norman lear uh bud yorkin and bud yorkin ended up joining uh saw Top and bernie ornstein so that was toy productions and um and most all of these cats they all came from like embassy entertainment and 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 all of these different companies where they um they, you know they produced most of the big sitcoms all in family you know all, all the shows leading up to what's happening so um for whatever reasons, which is way beyond my knowledge at the time I was a kid, you know, but there were disputes and other things going on between Eric Monte as a writer, creator, and the executive producers. And, um, you know, we were at the reading table uh, one morning and uh, I'll never forget, you know, in in Burbank, California, you know, and and we're sitting at this long table and they said, listen, uh, we need to change the name of the show. And and change your character names. And we're like, oh really? Like, oh, okay. He says, so you know, we don't really know, but you all, you know, and basically they're 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 appealing to the African American uh, uh, sensibility here. You know, what what's what's a good name? We need something popular, something cool, something something cool. <laughs> and everybody's blurting out all these names and stuff, and I'm from New York. You know, I'm a teenager out of New York City, you know, so it's like for those who don't know, in the 70s, I mean, style is everything. We have lots of culture. We have style. We're cool. It's the 70s. You know, we wore the right clothes. We had to sneak, we had good sneakers and, you know, wearing pro kids and we had all the style, you know, and uh, so I'm listening to all these comments and I'm like, uh, yo, yeah, why don't we just call it What's Happening? And he said, excuse me? <laughs> I said, What's Happening? he went, what do you mean? I went, oh, I'm sorry. Why don't we call it What's Happening? And there you went, yes! Everybody was like, yeah, that's cool. I was like, yeah, yeah, like, what's happening? Yeah, what's happening? You know, and then from there, we all named our different characters, except for Rerun. He was named Rerun because he, I guess, couldn't graduate the 12th grade. He had been in there four years in a row. So (laughs) (laughs) he's called Rerun, you know. But that's how that all pretty much came about, yeah.
0: Wow, that's some serious nuggets right there. Now, I heard you mention you was at a young age, so how old were you when you started the show, and how did you actually end up at that table?
1: You know, um, that's a two-part question. I mean, actually, when I was doing What's Happening, I was I was, sick, I was 15, just turning 16. However, the run-up to it is what really is the heavy part. I mean, you know, I, wasn't, I was pretty much a veteran already at that point. I had uh, already done, like, you know, multiple national commercial campaigns, all the toys from the sixties and seventies. I did most of the commercials, you know, and they grabbed me in, uh, things like Johnny lightning and, and hot wheels, rock'em sock'em robots. Um, uh, they, you know, a lot of the board games, um, Campbell's soup, Libby's, uh, Libby's 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 on the label, 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 and Campbell's "Mm, good. And Lavoris Power. Anyway, a, a run of Madison Avenue, uh, ad agency endorsements led me up to shooting a movie called Mixed Company. And then from there, brought on to Broadway. Actually, I, I auditioned. I, I screen tested along with Bernadette Stannis, um, actually with Chip Fields, Kim Fields' mother.
0: She was right.
1: uh, reading, at, you know, and, and we both read as the brother and sister on, on Good Times.
0: Really? you Wait, you actually auditioned for Good Times?
1: Yeah. I was one of the last ones kept. And actually, Chip Fields then moved on to some other projects, and Bernadette Stannis and I screen-tested together, and they, they signed us. And you was going to be JJ? No, 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 Michael. Michael.
0: Michael, okay. You was going
1: to be Michael. So we flew back to New York. They did not give me the role. They gave it to Ralph Carter, who had done, like, two Broadway shows, so he had a lot of live audience experience. And he's real talented. Right. So they gave it to, to Ralph. I went back to Broadway in Thieves, uh, with Marlo Thomas and Richard Mulligan, you know, Valerie Harper, all these different stars. And um, Bud Jorkin came out and saw the show. I guess Norman Lear told him, you got to go check this kid out. He came and saw the show, and next you know, they signed me and flew me back out to be on Sanford and Son.
0: Now, hold on. We're going to talk about that in a minute. No, don't don't, don't, don't touch on that just yet. We're going to talk about it in a minute.
1: Well, but that was the lead up to the Grady series, which is the spinoff of Sanford and Son, And then that got canceled in 10 weeks, but it was the same producers, Toy Productions, Saul Turtle Tub, Bernie Orenstein, and Bud Yorkin. And so they flew me back to New York and said, we want you to read, well, actually it was Whitman Mayo that played Grady on San Francisco and said, I want you to go read for this this role in New York. I'm like, oh, okay. So we fly back to New York. Uh, I guess they were shooting the $100,000 pyramid in, in a Broadway theater. And when I walked in, it was like, a population of people, lots of people, right? Maybe about 300 people reading for the roles. And um, Mabel King, who played the mother on What's Happening, was actually on stage in the Shirley role. She's in the soda shop. And Danielle Spencer, D. she went up and did her little piece as D. It was great. Um, And then I went up and I did my part as Pooter from Cooley High. And actually, it went really well. They came up to me after I finished reading and says, you got it, man. We're flying you back to L.A. tomorrow. I went, we just got back. I got to go see my grandmother, my grandfather. It was like, you don't have time. So my mom and I jumped on the plane and bounced. But I think if there's a comment I want to make about it is that this is a testament to the great management that was behind me and the great mominger that I had, my mother. Because I had Kathy Dowd, uh, this five foot tall, maybe 4'11", Irish woman in the 1960s mad men ad agencies, right? And so she basically said, I'm going to send you up for all the things that I think you're good for. They're not going to be ready for you. They're not going to expect you, but you go in there and you do what you want to do. Don't worry about what they want. They don't know. Do what you feel. Wow. Read your copy. I know you know how to, to read. We, we've we've tested before. You're really good. Read the copy and do what you feel. Use your mom. Ask your mom questions as you need to. So that was the process. And I would walk into auditions, and they would go, they they would be like, "Okay, Haywood Nelson, hi," <laughs> like almost like, "What are you doing here?" And I'm like, "Hi." Now, I'm I didn't care because Kathy Dowd told me I can come in here and do what I do, and that's what I did. And I would read, and they would go. Yes, and they would give me, so that's how the commercial thing started, but that same ethos and, 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 and philosophy remained all the way up to me auditioning for Cooley High, and then that day where I had to tell them about naming it was happening, <laughs> and we became what's happening, and then we went on from there, and the rest becomes pretty much history, yeah.
0: Wow. That's that's something. And uh, a lot of people don't know about the Grady because it only lasted a year. But it had you and it had Joe Morton.
1: It was a number of different people. Oh, Carol Cole, Nat King Cole's daughter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She wow. So speaking of the what's happening, family, I also wanted to because, you know, me being a director, I know what it's like being on set all day. You know, sometimes you're doing eight, 10, 12 hour days. Yeah. So your TV set is actually your family set because you with them more than you at home you know, with a regular family. Sure. So do you still keep in touch with your cast? And when I talk about the people that are still here, like Ernest Thomas, who played Raj and also Daniel Spencer, can you tell him about the relationship you guys have built and still have today?
1: Well, you know, the relationship uh, between the cast and what's happening has so much to do with the journey, the experience, you know, Ernest is a phenomenal actor. He had already done a number of different things. He had been on Broadway. You know, he, he was a really, really good actor. He came on board, uh, Fred Berry. was like a rock star. You know, He was a music industry cat, you know. Or he had already been with Johnny Carson. You know. Well, I'm still trying to get on with Johnny. He had already been with Johnny. Even though I had met and knew Johnny. Because when we did Grady, we shot right next door to Johnny Carson and the gong show. In fact, our prop master, Gene, on on the Grady, he became Gene Gene the Dancing Machine on the gong show. And that was from right next door. But you know, you've got Ernest Thomas with this great acting. Fred Berry with this swagger as this music industry cat. Danielle Spencer was just like natural. She had this natural thing. Shirley Temple was completely green. I mean, really? she, had, she did not, she could not read this. She, did, she, she just didn't, she wasn't an actor.
0: Now, she had a stand-up comedy background. Yes. Her
1: timing
0: was impeccable.
1: She was the one that started the trend when we would get our reading on Monday mornings with, the, with Network watching. And you have a cold reading. You've never seen the script before. You're sitting down like, oh man, especially in the beginning because you don't really know your. Ca- you're still developing your character. Later on, you know your character. You sit down on a Monday. It's like whatever. Open it up. I, I, the character speaks for you. But in the beginning, it's like oh, the angst. You know, cold reading in front of the network. aye, aye, ay Shirley would just get up there and she would just do what she she ad libbed through the whole thing, and when the reading was over and network left. She took the script and tossed it over her shoulder and surely improv what's happening. That's why she was so good. Cause it's coming from, it's coming from in here. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's very natural. And uh, we got in there, man, and we started dicing it up and getting it done. And, and the relationship between all of us is because we had to rely on one another. This is something that was so very new. They were trying to do, you know, it was very different, you know. Yes, there was happy days, but this is cooling high, becoming something else. And that something else had to do with our relationship with one another. And uh, it was beautiful, but that segues into a very heavy part of life. You know, Daniel Spencer, you know, first season, is in a tragic car accident on Pacific Coast Highway. Tragic. Wow. Really? Killed her stepfather, Tim Pelt, who's a very famous African American actor from the 60s. You can look him up.
0: You know, one thing thing I've noticed about you is you you can remember the names like it was yesterday. Everybody from the 4 Eleven lady to everything, it's just all the names just run off the tongue like. You mean it it wasn't yesterday? Oh. Now, real quick, you mentioned um, your relationship with, you know, the cast, but you and I talked, you know, um, before then about a special relationship you had with Fred Barry. Can you tell me about oh, that? Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, Fred, you know, they're all, the entire cast is my family. But Fred and I, we were close brothers. We were the two siblings who hung out. Um, he's much older. I mean, you know, Danielle and I were younger. Everybody else in the show was 10, 12, 14 years older than we were. So, but... Fred was married uh, to a woman, Francesca Berry, who's a dancer, a very talented choreographer today and dancer, Um, but uh, they lived up in Northern California, even though we shot in Southern California, and they took me with them one weekend after we finished taping on a Friday night, jumped on the plane, bounced up to uh, San Francisco, you know. Herb teas, and the house has got plants everywhere. I was like, what am I into now? This is beautiful, man. I'm like, Fred, you live like this? He's like, yes, that's right, brother. And he goes, you know, whatever. (laughs) Very, very comfortable. Very small, modest house. Detached one-car garage. Little itty-bitty two-bedroom house. Very, very, very nice. But what was beautiful was the next morning, we ate. But then we jumped in their little Honda Civic. I mean, the one with the little wheels, you know, the little <laughs> Little wheels with a big man. <laughs> right. We stopped in the mountain and we grabbed water out of the mountain. And we bought apples. I'm like, where are we going? And we go down to Half Moon Bay to the beach. And when we're down there, it's a, it's a, a stable. And they had horses. And they had a horse already ready for me. And we fed the horses apples and we jumped on the horses. And we're riding on the beach. We, we're in some fog and we're riding all up and down the beach. We got in the water with the horses and swam with the horses. And Fred, Wait, 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 wait,
0: wait. Fred got on a horse? Fred
1: was, you know what? Fred Berry was an amazing person. First of all, he could dance. He was acrobatic. He could flip. He could just do backflips, standing, you know, standing start. Very amazing athlete. And yes, he loved horses. He got up on, and this horse was really? the biggest horse I ever seen in my life. He is a short guy weighing almost 300 pounds, and he got up on this horse that's standing like 16 and a half hands tall. I mean, this big white horse. And his wife had her horse, and they had one for me. And But he was a very good rider. And then, so he and I kept up the tradition in L.A., and we used to ride in Griffith Park. Um, I, I became associated... Uh, well, first of all, our director, Mark Warren, directed Sammy Davis Jr.'s uh, uh, variety show. So Sammy Davis Jr. would come to the set all the time. We always would see Sammy, and he came to me and said, "I hear you ride." And I went, "Yeah." He goes, "I have something for you," and he gave me a, a, a an idea, a concept about a black jockey from back in the 1890s, and who was like this famous jockey. Still today, his records unbroken. So, you know, uh, another friend of mine, Reginald Dorsey, who was a black cowboy, very famous. Uh, actor and writer-producer, and he's also a fide black cowboy just inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, he and I joined the Black Riders of the Purple Sage, which is a riding group in Griffith Park, and we used to ride, and we brought Fred with us. And, you yeah. know, he, he could keep up. Fred was good. He really, really could ride. He was a very amazing
0: guy. Well, thank you for sharing that story, man. But I got to talk about, one, your energy. Man, you talking got energy, memory, like you like in your 30s. So I got a picture here I want to show everybody when you was uh, uh, 11 years old about you. You had a big afro. So tell me about this picture right here.
1: <laughs> All right. So that photo is definitely authentic. There's no question about it. It's actually from the movie Mixed Company. And I was playing a a kid who was adopted into a white family whose father happened to be the coach of the Phoenix Suns. And that hair was crazy because I didn't wear my afro like that. Because anybody from the 70s know when you wore your afro, after you picked it out, you used the next half hour to pat it back in. And use your fingers to get it (laughs) just right. right. (laughs) I mean, every angle on that afro had to be perfect. So that picture you just showed is kind of the end antithesis of that, but it was very much on character at the time.
0: <laughs> wow. So do me a favor, Heywood. tell me some secrets, because like I said, you, you, you know, we talked about men eating right, and you had a very interesting way of telling me of your story on how you stayed fit and just eating right about men getting in the kitchen and cook. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, the thing is, um, first and foremost, thinking right. Having a good positive outlook on life and, and, and knowing that you're blessed, you're here. <laughs> you have the opportunity to do an amazing things as well as help others. So, having that in, in, in one's acknowledgement first and up front is, 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 is that's the start for me. That's the base, that's baseline. Beyond that, I come from a family of men who have always cooked, not just grilled. I mean, they got in the kitchen and burn and cook it up. Um, but you know, my life changed as I got more independent in my early twenties. I would say, well, even yeah, I say in my mid twenties, um, I was able to buy a boat, and I had a yacht in Marina Del Rey, and I'm a scuba diver. So I would I would go and I would, I would get out there and you know catch my fish and prepare them and cook them, and it, it started a, a, a whole trend. I mean, I even worked on other commercial boats as a as a shipmate, you know, untangling hooks and lines and all that, filleting the fish after the, the trip was over. But I always came home with a big Ziploc bag of fish fillets. So then it became, well, what's gonna go with that? i would be sitting at home, you know, the only food I bought was for my dog. I had an Alaskan Malamute. I spent hundreds of dollars for this big bag of food for her every month. But I started getting into buying vegetables to go with my fish and preparing my own meals. And that has stuck with me till today. All my life I think that cooking is vital to living man not just the health part but appreciating what you the food you know it's like the preparation is part of the uh, of the nutrition for me cuz you know you you you're sourcing it by finding good things to you know organics and otherwise clean food to actually prepare then you're taking the time to prepare it and then you're tweaking it to your taste and if there's anybody else around you're also making it to feed others and there's nothing better than food to to spark social interaction and cultural interaction so I'm into the different cultures and the different food I love like I I, I mean, my family is West Indian, so, you know, there's a lot of different West Indian foods, Barbados and such, Bajan food. But, you know, I love my Italian food. I I, I love Indian food. I really like Asian stuff. I'm really, I'm heavily into Japanese food because I like fish, you know. But that whole thing is about taking care of what you have here. And really, especially for men, man, because we do a lot of things, You know, some men drink and others, you know, stay up late, some stress, some work all the time. We do a lot of things to ourselves. We're resilient, but we really got to feed it. And I think that it really starts with nutrition, man. And I do that. And that nutrition thing makes me feel good, makes me feel good, uh, makes me uh, think clearer and better, faster. I can tell the difference in this test tube of a body when I haven't done right. My reaction time wow. and otherwise. So that's my barometer on how I'm eating, how I'm living. And, I, and, I, and they, all co- they, they all coalesce into something that makes a, a balance for me that I try to maintain. And I'm not, look, I'm not perfect at it. I'm, and, you know, yes, I've stepped into all that whole realm, but uh, my brother and I were talking about it the other day. It's not like I'm hiding out in the woods wearing some hemp underwear. I haven't gone that far.
0: <laughs> okay, r- real quick. And I appreciate you mentioning that, especially as men, especially as black men, because like you said, we do a lot and we have a lot of health issues. So I really appreciate you mentioning that. But because I'm a foodie, I got to ask you, what is your favorite fish? And do you have a certain recipe? Like I have a recipe with fish is I will go ahead and put milk in a bowl. I'll put a crack of egg, mix it up, and I'll put my favorite season, which is lemon pepper, in there. Then I'll go ahead and get the flour, shake and bake. Then I'll go ahead and dip the fish, cut little slits in it, put it in a bowl and then I put it in a bag and shake it up and, and fry it. So what, what is your, what is Hayward Nelson's like secret go-to recipe?
1: First of all, in my life period, I'm a minimalist. How I like to decorate my home, how I like to dress. So if I'm decorating, <laughs> I want to, in my house, I it to look like a museum. <laughs> Everything has a place and it's where it belongs. And if it gets moved, it gets put back where it came from. Therefore, if you're in the complete dark, you worry not because you know exactly where everything is. And so when it comes to the food, it's the same thing for me. I like simple. I, li- I don't like it all mixed up. I like things separated so I can see what I have. And I like to sample it the way I want to sample it. My favorite fish, unfortunately, you know, we have to also be very much into something that I am, and that's our environment and uh, the ocean. Um, you know, we have to really take care of our oceans. They're in trouble. The planet's in trouble. And, but our oceans are really in trouble and we're, we're, we're overfishing. And, and unfortunately, I like Japanese food, but that's one of the biggest violators, you know? But what what's happening is you have a lot of um, established nations doing the fishing in developing nation waters. They're overfishing their waters, they're putting an economic strain on the people that are there, and then the fish are becoming depleted. My favorite fish, sea bass, Chilean. However, it's on the endangered species list now. I don't eat it anymore.
0: I stopped.
1: And there are other sea basses you can have. You know, I mean, there's European sea bass and otherwise. So some kind of a white fish. I mean, I love salmon. Uh, And there's other kind of white fish that you can cook and prepare. But whatever fish, and my favorite is yellowtail. I love yellowtail. Uh, However, what I like to do is, first of all, as much as I enjoy it, I don't fry. Not anymore.
0: Deep fryer? You're the deep fryer guy now? No, I don't. I don't.
1: I I'll, I'll, I'll use my air fryer.
0: Air fryer, I mean. Air fryer.
1: I'm a heavy olive oil consumer. But when it comes to fish, I like to take it and I season it. I have my different seasonings. You know, I put my turmeric on it. Um, I put, you know, my, my garlic powder. Hardly any salt. Maybe a little sea salt. You know, at the most. Then um, I have other seasonings. The, the key to it for me, though, is about... Longevity I don't live to eat I eat to live and that's how I prepare my fish I use the ingredients like turmeric and otherwise that are very good for the system try to uh, bring I drink lots of water I, I, I'm interested in my body being alkaline versus acidic so there are vegetables that help keep you alkaline there are other seasonings and other preparations that can keep you alkaline. And we're all gonna, you know, we're gonna fluctuate up and down from alkaline to acidic depending on the night before and what you did, you know. And I definitely go out and dance and party and have a good time. But you have to know the next day that you need to change up and do what you gotta do to put everything back to normal. A uh, homeostasis, get your, your, your system back equalized. So in prep- preparing my fish, it's with always that in mind first. And then you don't worry, the taste will come. And as long as you got the proper colors on
0: your plate, you're good. Right, there you go. It's all about the presentation. So let's go ahead and talk about something that a lot of people may not be familiar with, your biggest passion. Let's talk about your passion of writing. Oh,
1: yeah, man, that's everything to me. Um, I learned early on with the show What's Happening that it's all about the writing. Um, you know, I'm, I agree. You, you really have to not only understand the original concept, you have to understand the uh, arc, you know, the story takes an arc, and you're creating that arc, and the characters have an arc, and to understand all of that and utilize that to create something is the highest honor that I can find, and so I've really mastered it. I've taken my time to make sure that I am a very proficient writer, and I'm a good writer, and I'm writing from authenticity. Um, Narrative, Uh, all of these things are important, but it's most important because Nothing seems to be new anymore. Everything that we see, we've seen before. It's just being redone. It's respun, which is fine. I'm I'm totally with that. I do it. However, as a culture, and what got me involved in acting from the beginning was I didn't see a lot of people on TV that I recognized. I didn't see, and not just color. Because nowadays you can see, I can see a black person that I do not recognize. It's not like what I know. I want to see more of what I know. I want to be able to identify with it. And I think that today, young people, I want to encourage them to write because you can. And it's very easy to get what you wrote to a point where it can maybe take another step. And, you know, that's something that I have a whole masterclass. I'm ready to drop on that. But for for the sake of time, I'll just say I want to encourage young people to get down with that. Write. Write poetry. Just start there. Write poetry. You don't have to worry about the rhyming. You don't have to worry about the timing. Go from your heart and be authentic and write. And then from there, and blog. Blogging is great. But from there, develop stories. And write and blog from your guts. You know, come in from, from what you really think and feel, not what's politically correct, not what you've been uh, uh, socialized to think at home when you were raised. Write from your heart, from the moment. It might be different tomorrow. You may change. So what? Then you write from that authenticity. But write. And that's what I do. I write. I write. And then from there, take it and develop it uh, as a showrunner to either get it on the big screen, domestic or foreign, because I've done both, or get it into uh, the whole um, um, content distribution medium or all the mediums that exist, that kind of thing.
0: Wow, I've, I've noticed that your uh, attitude and your demeanor and your energy really picked up when your eyes just lit up when you talked about writing. And I can see that passion in you. So, man, and me being a writer, I, I know exactly where you're coming from with the arc. And as you said, just, just write. So, um, now I heard a- Production
1: also. Production, um, you know, I mean, writing is, is awesome. But, you know, to me, it, it needs to feed towards uh, an end. <laughs> and I also tell everybody I'm no longer in show business. Done. Okay. I'm in business show. Put a good business Business together and a good revenue model and attach a great show to it. And okay, sometimes they come together, you know, in, in, in unison, but always have that business side balancing along with the show side and then put it together. That wow. makes sense. Otherwise, it's not you. worth it. I'd rather go scuba diving and call call, call my, my peoples and we go dive or go ride some motorcycles or race a car or fly a plane or do something like that other than trying to make a, 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 a piece of content. It's got to be right. It's got to be authentic.
0: I got you. And speaking of business, you and I are working on a business uh, partnership that we're working on. We can't really get into it because we're still working on it.
1: Wait, wait. But what a great new friendship and, 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 and brothership you know and i really appreciate what you're doing i mean i don't know how i mean i know you have your, your 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 audience and your viewers but i don't know how many know all about you but you really really are doing some great things man and you're and you're you're, you're staying in the game and, you're, and you and you know you've got family you're rocking it you're keeping the balance on all of it and that is encouraging and it's inspiring yeah so yeah working wow. together and doing some things man we're, you know we're talking we, we don't have it all locked yet, but we have a great idea about what. And, you know, especially when you're dealing with somebody like me, Mr. Hey, hey, hey. I mean,
0: come on. Yeah. Uh, man, well, I appreciate it. I really appreciate it, especially coming from an icon like yourself, man. You know, doing that, that makes me feel good about all my hard work that I'm doing. So, But, but we ain't going to talk about me. But um, is it true that you was actually a writer on the, uh, Sanford and Son?
1: No, I actually didn't write on Sanford and Son um, but I got to hang out with the writers. But more importantly, I got to hang out with, with, with Red Fox and LaWanda Payne. Okay, tell me
0: about that relationship. Tell me about those relationships.
1: Oh, straight mentoral. You know, it's just they, they were mentors, you know. I mean, they were a little, little raunchy, you know, LaWanda. <laughs> I, I kind of grew up around some wild stuff when I was young. But they were very, very careful to uh, monitor what I think on what I heard and monitor okay, exactly. how I behave but I, I got to watch their process their timing and how they how they how they construct and they would get the script but they rewrote the scripts they would rewrite the scripts right there on the set and I, I got to okay, learn okay. and so of course me a writer on those shows and, and grading all maybe because of my input yes I got a chance okay, to, to modify right. because if it didn't fit in my mouth I'm not saying it
0: right. So, I mean, how many people can actually say they got to hang out with people like that on the set with the writers? So, wow, that's just mind boggling because Red Fox is um, one of my biggest uh, influences as far as just... I mean, he. what people don't realize is Red Fox opened up the doors. First of all, he was the first person that started comedy albums, first and foremost. He was the first person that actually took show business to the road. And he was actually one of the first comics that actually opened up his own comedy club a lot of people don't realize that and i found out that you would never believe who his business partner was at the comedy show comedy club that he owned bill cosby oh that makes sense. bill cosby used to do the books and did the manager and everything else like that until he just couldn't take it he couldn't take enough of red fox and red fox developed of course we all know richard Pryor. uh you know that was one of the first places ronaldo ray slappy white and yes.
1: all of them came to the sets of what's happening man all of these people flip wilson all of them
0: I, I, well, I can't give it away, but uh, I'm actually doing something that's relevant to Red, uh, to Red Fox, but I can't give it away. But, um, but uh, yeah, writing is definitely your passion. And like I said, we've covered a lot of things. So actually, since I have you here, and you know, I know you've been part of the process, and I know them asking you, you have some type of relationship with Wendy, or you just watched the show. Touch on how you felt, how all that went down, as far as how her career ended on the Wendy Williams show. After all, well,
1: years. I mean, look, Wendy. Is somebody who been, who's always been very very kind to me. Um, yeah, you know, I, I was able to go on uh, WBL. Last she was on radio, spent some time. I saw her when she was doing a show a number of times. She was appearing at NBC. I think it was on Meredith Vieira show or something. And I got to see her, and we talk very very kind. Um, the troubles that that I've read about because I don't know a lot, but what I've read and heard, you know, troubles me, bothers me. Um, I don't wish that kind of thing on anyone. Any one of us can befall hard times. I don't care who you think you are. You, you, <laughs> just when you think you're, you're, you're impervious, you're gonna get knocked down. Um, it happens. What's more important is how you get back up. And at the same time, I can say I understand a producer's standpoint when you're producing a show or a series and you have to make the hard decisions or you're just not ready, go do something else. But if you're gonna be a producer, you gotta make the hard decisions and making that decision to not have Wendy come back. I don't know what the criteria or the decision making criteria was on that, but I'm sure it had a lot to do with what's going on with her at what stage was she at in the whole process. And of course, maybe being in it, she probably wanted to be back immediately, but the objective producer is gonna weigh all things and gonna do what is the greatest good overall, especially for the show. And so bringing in guest hosts, I, I get it, which gives Wendy a little time to try to get it together. But when you bring in a Sherry Shepherd, it's because you've decided, look, we have to really take this thing to the next level. And Sherry Shepherd is the perfect, perfect person for that kind of thing. She has all the experience. She has all this great energy. She's upbeat, she's fun, she's silly, and she's serious. She's very appealing. Um, she's busy rebuilding herself. And she has. And, you know, working on her, on her health and her body and her image. You know, she's, she's very, very busy and active. And that's the kind of thing you want from your artist when you're the executive producer and producer of a show. So them making that decision to not bring Wendy back is not one that I can comment on with any great detail because I don't know a lot about it all. I do understand to some degree as a producer myself. But the particulars, I don't know. And I just, I I have prayers that are out and 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 strong, strong thoughts of positive for Wendy, that she rebounds from all that she's been through and come in and reinvent herself. I mean, we're all reinventing ourselves all the time. Look at me. I'm I've been behind the scenes all this time. I've worked at Jazz and Lincoln Center doing uh, a lighting, uh, a lighting technician, uh, NBC as as a lighting and props and everything else because I love the industry as a whole. However, I'm an actor and I am reinventing that. And so we all do that on a regular basis. And I, like I said, it's not what happened to you, it's how you get back up. So Wendy, I give love.
0: I got you. Well, let me just say definitely our prayers and thoughts go out to Wendy Williams and her family and, um, I'm really excited about Sherry Shepard getting a new show, and she she deserves it. it. It wasn't because she just taken over for Wendy. She has her own new show, and she deserves it. Because a lot of people don't know Wendy, uh, Sherry been doing this.
1: She earns it. She has earned this.
0: Yeah. So shout out to Sherry Shepard. Hopefully, one day I will get on her show. Yeah, Sherry, sure. love you, baby. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So uh, I mentioned, heard you mention the jazz at the Lincoln Center. It, tell me a little bit more in depth about that because I think it's very fascinating for somebody like you to be doing this project?
1: Well, yeah, you know, first of all, you got to check your ego and your pride because I'm supposed to be in front of the camera, above the line. So what am I doing, you know, below the line, behind the camera kind of thing? And But, I'm, you know, I enjoy it. I the union, local one, IATI local one. Um, it's great work. It's, it's, a, it's technical. It's very technical. It's very dangerous. But I like the fact that preparation... And proficiency together bring about fantastic provo- performances and productions. And, you know, Wynton Marsalis has been so instrumental in creating a great institution up there, at jazz at Lincoln Center. I mean, Lincoln Center in general, we, we love it. But jazz at Lincoln Center has its own little niche that's so wonderful up in there, man. And and it's very highbrow. and it's, it's, Everything is done very meticulously. And, and And the people that I work with are very passionate about being part of the jazz scene. And I am into jazz. I love jazz music. Uh, My dad was a jazz musician. My uncles were jazz musicians. I grew up, you know, them them teaching me and my dad to play drums and and picking up the bass guitar and playing with it. It's a wonderful environment for me to work in. It's not work, (laughs) you know. I mean, it is work. I work hard, you know. But it, it feels good being part of that institution and then bringing my technical acumen and my commitment to excellence to it is something that makes me feel really good about me.
0: I got you. Now you now that we've talked, you've been in front of the camera and then you've been behind the camera. What are the differences? What differences have you learned? It's the same.
1: It's based on respect, it's based on preparation. It's based on um, your 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 you know training. You have to really prepare. You have to be ready, whether you're in front of the camera or behind the camera. You gotta prepare. Um you have to respect the other people because it's a collaborative art form. So whether I'm the star of the show or I'm the, 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 the production assistant, it's the same level. It's all, you have to have respect for everybody else and, and you should expect it to be reciprocated from others, you know? Um, and so, yeah, the, me working behind the scenes has taught me, you know, I've, it's made me a better actor because I really get a sense of what is needed you know, and there are limitations on what you can do as an actor. So if you know the camera and you know the lights, you can find your mark, you can find the light. But at the same time, you may get kind of improv in, what you, in, in, in your acting. And I might want to spin around and do some things. But if, I mean, if, my, if my frame is here, I have to talk in here. I can't talk out here because you would never see it. So to understand the tech side makes me a better actor because help be- it helps me make better choices in being true to the character you know so both sides of it you know
0: yeah speaking of improv i have an improv comedy show coming out called "Living and in color and it's very similar to saturday night live we got a lot of comedians actors think would that be something you'd be interested in doing doing some improv i
1: love uh sketch comedy it's it's fun okay it's fun stuff okay yeah. all, right.
0: Yeah. all right. all right Man, brother, I am really, um, really have appreciated this time, and you know, the time just goes by fly. But before we get out of here with all my guests, I'd like to do a, a quick get-to-know-the-guest. Okay. So I got a couple of questions I'm going to ask you, and I want you to just go ahead and give me the honest answer, and let's go ahead and go for it. All right, there. rapid fire. So first question, Michael Jackson or Prince? Both. Both. If you had to pick one to pay to go watch, who would it be and why? Prince. Have you ever met him?
1: Is that anybody you haven't met? <laughs> Prince and I used to run into each other all the time up at the uh, Right on Magazine offices with Cynthia Horner. So I used to see him up there all the time. Michael, I mean, I know the whole family. You know, my, uh, 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 Mrs. Jackson, Catherine Jackson, my mom, friends. Um, I was on the basketball team along with uh, Marlon, uh, Jackie, uh, uh, Tito. Um, Jermaine would come in and out. Um, no Michael. But, you know, we played in the celebrity basketball <laughs> together. So I knew them all the family. We used to race our Porsches and stuff together out in the desert and carrying on. So, yeah, I mean, I knew the whole family. Michael, I think. What do you say? I mean, <laughs> awesome. that's fun. How about Janet? Perfectionist. So talented. He, what he could do with a vocal was amazing. I loved his dancing, too, but I had a better afro.
0: <laughs> okay. Favorite cereal?
1: Favorite cereal. Mm. It was funny because I don't eat cereal anymore so much uh, with all the carbs, but my favorite growing up, oh, I, I, I okay. was a Captain Crunch guy. <laughs> I loved Captain Crunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that was that was really my cereal. Today, if I'm eating cereal, I'm looking for the health stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to eat um, total. Um, there's, there's a bread that I, I got to speak about. Uh, uh, Angela Bassett is the one that, that made it uh, known. So Ezekiel bread. Ezekiel bread is sprouted bread, it's not regular right. bread, it's sprouted, and it's healthy for your body, and I, and, and I get Ezekiel bread, you know, when I go, and I'm not, I mean, I have no endorsement, I'm not being paid, I'm just saying, in my healthy life, that's what I eat, Ezekiel bread, if I'm going to have carbs, and they make a cereal, an Ezekiel bread cereal, and that would be my choice, yeah.
0: All right. So the first big check that you got performing, acting or whatever, what was unique? What was the unique purchase that you made?
1: My very first check I got acting, I was five years old. So (laughs) to answer that question, I really couldn't tell you. I have no idea. I never saw it. I never thought about money. I never acted with a, a check in mind, which... Along with what Kathy Dow told me, just go in and do what you do. Don't worry about what they do. Not worrying about the money also was a big part of the freedom of letting me become who, you know, I became and who people, you know, become to know me as. So I don't know what was done with that. My, that money, you know, was went into the family, went into trust funds, went into stuff like that. My first purchase from money I made, I bought a... I bought what? my first mini bike. <laughs> I okay. got my first uh mini bike and then my first uh motocross bike with some of my money. Uh I bought I was into fish tanks. So I bought my I got my first large fish tank with all the, you know, my, my reverse osmosis and, and my, you know, uh, um, um, just you know cleaning the tank, buying all my fish. I spent money on that and then later on I bought a Dotson two eighty Z automobile.
0: Wow, my dad had one of those. Yeah, but you see that
1: I, I remember that and I I financed it through the union and paid it off and was proud you know, of myself. And then I went and grabbed the Porsche I thought it was something, you
0: know. <laughs> Excellent. So, this is a question that throws a lot of people off. If you yeah. had to go back and the knowledge you have now and you can go back and tell your 19, 20-year-old self because let's keep it real, you was like, I remember watching see, a poster of you I had on my wall, you was with that little chain you had, and you had the little shirt on, and you had the little chain, and you made chains famous, the silver chains famous. I wore my what would gold you go- chains now. <laughs> you know, you mean your, your, your gold and your silver chains. So what would you tell your younger self with the knowledge you know now you would tell yourself before he really got into the business?
1: Well, like 19 years old or so. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on in my life. Uh, the show had just been canceled. Um, I wasn't sure what was going to happen next, and um, I was in an incredible relationship with a uh, lifelong friend, my heart, Jennifer Bryce, and her uncle, Sidney Poitier, had us come over to the house one time, and I went over and kicked back, you know, just talking, him and his wife and his daughters, and he called me into the uh, um, living room, just he and I, I, I guess when I had a man talk, I was a little nervous. <laughs> And we sat down, but he was so cool. Sidney just kind of, you know, Uncle Sid, you know, he was Uncle Sidney. He just talked to me. And he said, buy a farm. I was like, what? You know, first thing I do is I'm looking around. I'm in this big mansion in Beverly Hills. You're telling me to buy a farm? And he says, buy a farm. Have your farm. You still have your place in town and all, but buy a farm. And he didn't elaborate too much. But in hindsight, he was on time buy land, buy property. Uh, Don't just buy and flip, buy land, grow food, grow your own food, help the community, give food away, you know, share, but make sure that you can always go home to your farm and you know you have something to eat and you know you have somewhere to be and you have land that's your domain that you can claim. And I didn't listen to that. I got into real estate later in a different way, but I didn't listen to that. And I really, if I could talk to my 19-year-old self, I would say, listen to Uncle Sidney and buy that farm, man. Get that farm. And put an airstrip on it so I could fly in and out, you know.
0: That is fascinating and mind-boggling to just think about that. Wow. That really is.
1: Yeah, and then I could have kept the girl. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I was in love with her I could keep my babe you know and it is what my, it is.
0: my last question is what just advice would you give to the new people in the business coming up in the entertainment business
1: for the new people coming up do it you are it there's nothing you have to go and become a part of you are it write just write if you write it will find its path. And with technology today, digital technology, you don't need someone for distribution. You can just do it yourself. Put it out yourself. Get your own YouTube professional channel. Put it out. Of course, later, things are going to crop up. You're going to have big names coming and wanting to pick it up or grab it up or grow it up. That's fine, too. But do it. Don't talk about it. Don't spend too much time thinking about it. Just do it and even if you put it up and it bombs and it's horrible in other people's estimations so at least you did it you tried and then take the notes of the comments that they made and put them into a positive make their adjustments never be afraid to pivot 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 fast if something's not working pivot get out of it and try the, the right thing and also trust the data i'm a data science nut i love it i love analysis I love prediction, predictive analysis, uh, statistics. Trust the data, and therefore you'll know what to pivot to. But definitely do it.
0: Wow, brother, I got to give you your flowers. You are a true professional. I can tell the passion that you have for this business, not only for the business of the entertainment, but just... Business in general. Yeah, just life, period.
1: Yeah, life, yeah, and life, and life. Degree.
0: So tell everybody how they can follow you on. Yeah, uh, you know, I got to tell this quick story. <laughs> I mean, we uh, was talking and I was booking you for the show and I haven't heard, didn't hear from you for a while. So my first thought was like, man, I you know, I know he been, you know, he probably ain't been on a computer. or probably don't know about the media thing. So he probably don't know how to work the computer to give me his pictures and his videos. Boy, was I wrong. So please tell me where everybody can follow you. Yeah, I mean, you
1: know, I, I, I'm not as active as I probably should be, and I will get back to it, but, you know, I'm there, Facebook, under my name, uh, Instagram, under Hayward Nelson Official, uh, Twitter uh, is there, um, you know, a, a TikTok, I just went into TikTok, I haven't put anything up yet. That's
0: what I said, at, you know, bro. little
1: small things, but we'll see, you know, uh, I, I got a little bit of comedy in me, so I might have to throw up a few things, you know, we'll see how that goes, but yeah, well. all of those, you can find me there, you know, and... Um, you know, as far as technology, I, I, I love technology. I mean, I, I love writing code. Uh, I'm not some big computer programmer, but, you know, I'm a student. And uh, I know how to write, you know, a few things in Python 3, you know, you know a little C++. And I play with it a little bit, some, you know, some Swift from Apple. Um, but get your hands on it, man. It's, it's, I tell everybody, get your hands in there. You're never too old. You're never too young. Get in it. Have some fun. And that's what I do. I love it.
0: Well, I'm going to tell you this, brother, right now, because I know you know the business and I know the business. After this airs out and it gets on all the podcasts and everybody watches it, you're about to get a lot more phone calls because there's a lot of knowledge that people didn't know about you that know about you once they listen to this podcast and get it out. And we're going to get it out. And like I said, I appreciate the time, brother. I'm glad to call you a friend. I'm glad I met you. Uh, I just feel a great great uh working not only business relationship but a partner friendship uh as well uh, can't wait to meet you live and in person and man i just really appreciate you man it's 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 rewarding when you get to do one of your heroes that you watch growing up it's it's rewarding to actually meet and then have a great because brother i really enjoyed this um podcast interview i really did
1: i my final word on it is that's my blessing. It's my blessing. I, I have been given so much. I am absolutely passionate about what I can give back
0: now. Okay. Well, we, we know the podcast is coming because you are definitely the candidate to have a successful podcast, my friend. Yeah, so we're going to talk. Yeah, talk, yeah, right? talk. We're going to talk. We're going to talk. We're going to talk. We don't want to give it away, but everybody, once again, give it up for the living legend the producer, the actor, the writer, the fish guru. That's it. Hayward <laughs> Nelson. Thank you, my friend, so much, man. And thank you, Marcus. Man, like I said, much blessing, much love, brother, and we'll be in touch soon. I really appreciate it. Respect.
1: Respect.